delighted to say that I'm joined on Football CFB by Laura Montgomery, a very famous woman when it comes to, to football in Scotland. She has played a big part in the, the Glasgow City journey since the club's formation and has played at the top level, the Women's Champions League, among many others, and won lots of trophies a, a, along the way. First of all, Laura, thanks for joining me. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. The first question I've got for you is, the Glasgow City journey for yourself started in the late 90s. You start on that journey and you look where the club is now and you look where the women's game is now. Just just describe that journey as a whole in, of, of women's football, both from yourself being involved, but also from the outside as well, maybe looking at other national teams and development of the game as a whole. Yeah, I think that's a good question. I mean, in terms of the kind of very basic development of where we kind of were in the kind of mid to late 90s up until now, then, you know, it's quite transformational. Um, but, you know, those that kind of know the women's story of, uh, you know, over the last kind of 100 years, it's kind of quite quite a journey in terms of, you know, women's football was really popular. You know, a, a long, long time ago, it was then banned by the FAs and then Scotland banned in terms of being played at certain grounds. So the kind of game had to kind of start really from scratch again. Um, the kind of 70s and 80s and then back into the, the, the kind of 90s and it, it took until I think it was about 1998 that the Scottish FA actually even recognised the kind of women's national team as, as, as being part of the national team um, so you know I, I do remember a time where um, you know the Scotland women's team would play and they wouldn't even play in the you know the same kind of national team strip because you know the SFA didn't, didn't kind of recognise them so you know back back then you're talking about, you know, teams were, were kind of quite recreational in terms of what they would do. You know, they would train like most amateur teams train, you know, kind of twice a week, playing their organised leagues at the weekend. You know, you compare that to now where, um, you know, all, all the top teams, you know, a number of them are professional. They're training kind of multiple times, times a day. And probably the biggest progression is the fact that, you know, if you kind of look at the quality that was at the Women's World Cup last summer, I was talking to someone about you know someone else about this this kind of recently and it's it's probably kind of now we're starting to see the benefit of the kind of um kind of and it's been slow in some countries very slow in some countries a little bit quicker in terms of the investment of the game so you know if I look at you know I'm I'm 44 years old and you know when I was younger there was there was no teams to play for it just wasn't possible you know I wasn't allowed there was no school teams I wasn't allowed to even play for the the, the school team and be part of the boys team that was just against the rules um, and it wasn't until I went to university when I was 17 that I actually got my first opportunity to play football properly and actually you know kind of have a coach whereas you know now I look at our club Glasgow City you know we've got you know we've got girls as young as six um, you know in our team and all the different age groups so you know if you kind of take up football now as a girl and you know if you've been able to do so in the kind of last 10 years or so you know you've been able to enter at the proper kind of coaching pathway you know, be coach, start to, you know, think about strength and conditioning and building your core and all that. And all of that has resulted in, you know, actually being able to see the kind of standard that we managed to see at, at, at the Women's World Cup this summer, where girls have actually managed to go through a kind of more normal uh, kind of foot football pathway. So it's still got a long way to go. You know, it still frustrates me massively that we're not further ahead, particularly in Scotland. But, you know, it's, it's kind of night and day from, from when Glasgow City uh, were formed 22 years ago. In terms of the formation of Glasgow City, um, you went to university, you started playing organised football, which you mentioned was something you were really looking forward to because, as you say, the, the history of women's football in Scotland, it's, it's, it's definitely a game that 
and this isn't controversial saying it, it's not. It's a game that hasn't always had the respect it deserves, and now in in the sort of modern era where we're talking now, it's starting to get that respect it deserves. Some would argue it has, but as you've said there, we've still got a way to go to further improve that. But for you, you started at university, you got quite a bad injury when you were 19 that kept you out for a few years, and I believe that was part of the main reasons why you wanted to, to form your own team in the end? Yeah, it kind of took, you know, I probably was just kind of super excited to get to university and, and actually get to, you know, play in, in a team, you know, have teammates play in organised league structure, the university uh, leagues had that, um, but then at the same time through Joining the uni team, uh, I met a couple of uh, girls who also played for um, a team in Mary Hill, and they played in the kind of senior women's league. And to be honest, I didn't even know that existed then. But you know, we're going we're going back to a time where there wasn't really you know websites or the internet to kind of find stuff out. So they invited me along, and I played that kind of first year in the kind of senior women's setup. But I, I only managed to play for one year, and then uh, you know, as you've said, I kind of got a really really bad knee injury. And during that period, when I was out injured. Um, you know, which was quite a long time. It was, you know, it was pretty much uh, three, almost three years in the end. Um, I kind of then started to kind of look about, you know, and see what was happening. You know, my first year was just great. I'm playing. This is fantastic. I'm playing in the league. Um, but then kind of being out injured, just kind of thinking, well, you know, really my own club kind of think things could be better. And, you know, I think the league could be a bit better. The facilities could be improved. We could perhaps have better attitudes than the players. And, you know, that's probably quite a strange thing to think about at that age, but I've probably always been a bit strange in that way. Kind of started, um, you know, my own team, even when I was at high school, even though we ended up not really having anyone, you know, to play against really, I still started our team and got us a strip and stuff. So um, I probably always had that kind of brain and, you know, just having a, a teammate um, in the same team I played with, uh, Cass, who was kind of a similar mindset to myself. We just kind of got chatting more and more about it. And then we decided, you know what, let's just create our own team and let's have all these things that, that currently frustrate us that we don't have our, our, our own team at the moment. When you formed Glasgow City, I'm, I'm sure, I could be wrong in saying this, you can correct me if I am, but I'm sure you couldn't foresee the success long-term in this fact. 14 women's Premier League titles, nine women's Scottish Cups, and in terms of the League Cup, six of those as well. I mean, and in your first season, you won promotion to the top flight, so... In terms of the success from where you started to now, just just how much does that mean to you? Because when you talk about women's football in Scotland, Glasgow City is the team that comes to mind. Yeah, it's really kind of you to say so. I mean, I think, you know, if I'm being honest, Cass and I are quite visionary. And, you know, anyone that kind of went to our first presentation when we were, um, which was a really unusual thing to do at the time as well, was to, you know, invite people along to a big presentation about what we were, we were going to you know, what we're going to do in the team that we're going to create. We kind of did tell everybody we were going to create the best team. Um, you know, looking back, the success has is, is kind of been, you know, un unbelievable. And that's probably more so for the fact that the amount of consecutive titles we've managed to win um, in a row, which I think, um, you know, certainly for me, probably hasn't had... I think personally the respect it deserves for the you know the players and the coaches staff that have managed to do that because that's that's been incredibly challenging you know to have that you know to win trophies is hard enough but to do it consecutively every year um you know with really strong competition and particularly having to overhaul squads every year you know we would lose our best players um every single season particularly after we played a Champions League game um against a top side that come in and take our kind of best players 
So, you know, I think to do that, probably looking looking back now, is has been actually un- unbelievable. Um, and as I say, huge testament to the character and mentality um, of the players we've had over the years. Something I'm interested to ask is, when the club was founded, see appointing the manager and Kathleen O'Donnell, how did that come about? Because obviously you go on to play for the club, but what was it like when you found the club? Because were you ever tempted to, to be in charge yourself? No, <laughs> definitely not. Uh, no, I've never been interested in coaching, actually. Obviously, I love playing. Um, and I did, you know, did like to tell the odd referee how the game, uh, you know, should actually be refereed and things. So I was a bit like that. But I never really had, I never really had a great interest in, in kind of taking the team. My interest was playing and in the off-field kind of business side of things. And that's probably, that's maybe probably what's helped us, you know, the large probably the lion's share of, of volunteers that most clubs have had over the years have been interested in coaching. Um, and that's, you know, that's obviously fantastic. We all need, you know, really good coaches. That's a, that's a kind of fundamental, but, you know, the kind of drive to change things off the pitch and to be professional, you know, because literally we, pretty much we've been run as a professional club since day one, even though Cass and I have, have done it all for free, you know, for all these years, you know, we put the same amount of effort and commitment and, professional approach is, is those clubs that have you know full-time paid staff and I think um, I think that's definitely helped and um, I'm sure if I'd just you know coached the team they wouldn't have been half as successful as getting those far more qualified than me to do it. In terms of yourself and your playing career you for the majority of your career you play at centre half I mean what's it like being a, a, a centre half and, and and playing in a team that that you're invested so much into emotionally as much as physically on the part because if I ask someone most more often than not from from the male game yes they might be invested in a club because they support the club or they did as a as a child but you actually founded this club so when you were on the park did that carry an extra weight of expectation in your mind that not only have I got to give my all in this 90 minutes but this is my club, really. Is my club def- definitely? I need to. I need to give it even more. Yeah, I mean, I've always had a really strong competitive streak and a really strong winning mentality. Anyway, so I don't know. You know, I probably would have been similar, even irrespective of it being my own club. I think that's just my my kind of you know mentality that I have. But you know, without a doubt, it's obviously meant a lot. And I think um, you know, I know how much. It's meant to a lot of people that have been invested in the club and sometimes, you know, wanted to give something back to them that have given so much to us has definitely been been part of it. You know, probably I'd say the biggest challenge was always, um, you know, because I would, you know, so, so for example, I would do and still do, you know, the commercial things with the club. So, I mean, I told somebody this recently, but I always remember going out for quite a big game um, and, uh, you know, I'm kind of leading the team onto the pitch and I knew that one of our main sponsors was coming. And as I, I went out onto the pitch, you know, I'd kind of looked in horror that uh, the volunteers had tasked to put up a particular number of signs for the said sponsor that was coming weren't up. And I was kind of shouting at the sides, you know, like, guys, you need you know, get that sorted. And quite rightfully, the head coach was going mental at me because, you know, we're, <laughs> we're about eight minutes away from kickoff in, in a big game and I'm kind of more focused on, you know, what signage we've got around, we've got around the pitch. So... Without a doubt, it probably distracted me a little bit on my kind of football duties. Um, you know, we'd go away on, we'd go away in Champions League trips, and um, you know, not only would I be playing all the games, I'd also be attending all the meetings and all the press conferences. Um, you know, from an organisational point of view, uh, 
again, I was telling somebody this recently, I mean, I, I probably missed out on, on quite a lot of the kind of fun stuff, you know, after every match, I would, uh, you know, I never really got to enjoy whether it was celebrations or whatever, because I'd be sitting straight, straight away writing the match report, you know, to get it sent out to the press or, you know, I remember the year, the first time in Europe we ever qualified out of the, the group stages. You know, I kind of missed the first two hours of festivities because I was updating the website and emailing all the press back in Scotland. But that's probably just, you know, it's just something I, I kind of done. It's always been really important for me, just, you know, not only to advance Glasgow City, but most importantly, you know, to advance, advance the game and not really, give, not really give the media any excuse for, for not covering us. In terms of domestic football, it was a... It's a league that Glasgow City, as I've said, have dominated in Scotland. When you went into those European games, how did the European standard differ to the standard in Scotland? Because we all know if we look down south, the same as it is in, 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 in men's football, the Scottish up here has a wee bit of money, but the Premier League's got lots. And when we look down at the WSL, that's pretty much the same compared to the Scottish game, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, very much so. You know, the game's kind of, well, the, the women's game now is quite, you know, similar to the men's game in terms of what countries have have the kind of money and, and what countries don't. But, you know, the standard of European football is massive. You know, it's a, it's a huge step up for, you know, than, than it is domestically. But then again, you know, in context, it depends what, what kind of round that you, you're in. You know, if you're in the qualifying round, and you're playing teams that are lower ranked than you, then yes, you know you're you know you're expected to to manage to beat them. But certainly, once you get to the kind of knockout stages, and if you get to the last 32, 16, or even the quarterfinals, you know it's 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 a kind of huge golfing class, um, and it's a big it's a big step up for us as a club, you know, to try and com- compete at that that level. And um, it probably kind of shows quite often because you know we, we've got a terrible habit of losing really early goals. Um, in the Champions League, particularly at home, and I, you know, I think that a lot of that something to do is just to try and get used to the pace of the game and, and the standard that we're, you know we're actually we're, we're actually up against because you know the the players are obviously technically technically brilliant, but you know they're they they're usually a lot more faster and fitter than you know the vast majority of, of of our league, and that's not to do our league at the service. That's just because these teams were you know were were playing against have the finances to bring in some of the best players in the world from all over the world. Absolutely. And, and in terms of yourself, how much pride, not just for you, but for the whole club when you're in the Champions League alongside teams like Bayern Munich, teams like Arsenal, Paris Saint-Germain, Chelsea, Barcelona. I mean, I can, the list goes on. When you think that idea that you had back in the late 90s, 1998, to then fast forward and be playing the superpowers of European football, just, just how much does that mean for not only you, but the club as a whole? Oh, it's, it's brilliant. I mean, it's a real kind of shake yourself moment. You know, you're right. If you look at the current quarter, you know, final lineup, it's frightening that there's these big, massive powerhouses in the game, you know, really well-known brands, some of the biggest brands in the world. And then there's this little Glasgow City badge. You know, it's, it is kind of crazy. Um, and to be honest, you know, purely, in, you know, in terms of investment and everything, you know, we should be nowhere near this stage. You know, it's you're talking just so much of a, of a difference in terms of, of finances but it's it's incredibly proud and you know I think you see that when you see the kind of you know the celebrations for when we managed to beat Bronby this year you know and also the the other time before we got to the uh, the, the quarterfinals um, you know it's just the kind of unreal feeling across the whole club you know we've managed to kind of to manage to, to get that far and be being you know the same kind of 
environment as these teams is, is crazy. So yeah, that's definitely, you know, that's definitely some of the highlights um, because, you know, a, a little club like ours just shouldn't really be any, shouldn't really be anywhere near that stage on paper. Something that you said earlier about when I mean, the club wins an important match and you were then writing the reports to send them back to Scotland. It's one of the frustrating things that the lack of coverage, I know it's, it's improving now, but for instance, the example that comes to mind for me is when Celtic won the treble treble and there was page after page, story after story, Glasgow City did that first. And yet the, the appreciation of that is just not there to anywhere near the same scale, which, which frustrates me greatly in the sense that any achievement in football, I always say this, when I talk about, if I talk about the, the male game, whether someone's played in the Premier League and won a title or they're playing in the juniors and won a title, a title's a title. It's an incredible achievement. And for me, in the women's game, especially in the wider media, it needs to be recognised far more because the standard of football is incredible. I, I, as I say, I attended my first match when Scotland played Jamaica in a friendly um, at Hamden before the World Cup. I'd watched games on the TV, but I'd never been along to a game. Always curious went along that night and and I honestly just really enjoyed it. I loved the atmosphere. I loved the fact, fact that it was family friendly. I took a, a large group of kids with me from the nature of a job in education and, and the kids all left that night going, I want to come back. Yeah. No, I think, you know, you've, you've just described an experience that actually most people have if they come along, you know, to for the first time. And that tends to happen, as you're right, you know, whether it's national team games or quite often at our kind of European matches is the ones that... But that's... Again, dare I say that, you know, if there's going to be a game that gets any coverage and it's usually extremely limited, it might be one of those. But, you know, although things have got slightly better, you know, it's still kind of, it's, you know, it's still shocking. I mean, I think in Scotland, I think, you know, 6% of our sports press um, is given to women's sport. I'm not just talking women's football, but, you know, women's sport in general, you know, that's all we get is 6%. We're actually over 50% of the population. And yet it's it's six percent. So, um, you know, there's that has to improve massively. It's 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 not been good for years. It's a, you know a fraction better. But given you know given the the successes that particularly in, in women's football that you know domestically and internationally we're having, you know, we should really be having much much more coverage. But unfortunately, it's it's the media decide you know what kind of goes in, and they've kind of used the excuse for years of well nobody's really interested, your attendances aren't high, but they're not quite understanding that if nobody knows where or when games are, then you know why is anybody going to turn up? You know all the all the evidence and the research shows that actually if um, you know if women's football is accessible, people watch it and they go. You know twenty eight point one million people in the UK watched the Women's World Cup last summer, but that's you know that's an incredibly high figure. But the reason it's high is it was accessible. You know, it was on the BBC and the papers were actually writing about it. So, you know, if people know it's there, they'll, they'll go and take it in and they'll watch it and, and they'll enjoy it. So it's a, it's a huge frustration for me. It's been probably my biggest frustration for all these years and continues to be so. It's another frustration, Laura, the fact that the club has dominated Scottish football. It's a club that, as we've talked about, has gotten to the quarterfinals of the, the Champions League. Incredible achievements, but... And I'm not trying to demean the Scottish game, but you are in Glasgow City of clearly an ambitious club. You've got the records, won over 100 games, and, and been undefeated for over 100 games, won treble trebles, won league title after title. Um, is there part of you that's frustrated when you look down at the WSL in England that 
there isn't a route for a team like Glasgow City to enter that pyramid and that structure and potentially restructure the game, the women's game in the UK, to be a UK-type league in the sense that there can be more access, more coverage, more finance, and ultimately help benefit the game long-term, uh, the length and breadth of the UK. Yeah, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, it would be fantastic. I mean, Glasgow City, we looked into it, you know, a number of years ago when the kind of, the Women's Super League in England started, you know, but the reality is, um, you know, it's, it's, everybody wants to be where the coverage is and, and then, you know, ultimately where the, the money is and, and that's kind of happened in England and it's happened because the FA invested in their domestic game. Um, you know, before that, the English game is very, very similar to the Scottish game. It was very similar in terms of standard um, coverage and everything and then, the, you know, the FA obviously grabbed it and uh, invested heavily in it, in it and kind of now kind of re reaping the, the rewards. But I think, you know, I'm also quite realistic in that given, you know, that the number of women's teams in England is massive. They've obviously got this kind of top flight that's called, you know, the, the, the WSL. You know, they've got, at the moment, they've got two leagues. Pretty much every club in England that's not in one of those two leagues wants in them, you know, because they appreciate that's where the money is for them as well. So, it would be very, very difficult for the English FA to ever allow a Scottish team in there and deny one of one of their own. But more on top of that, it would create a precedent for, you know, the men's game here in Scotland to be able to do so. And I think, you know, we fully understand Celtic and Rangers men's team very much want to be down in the Premiership or, you know, e even the Championship. But again, given the, the kind of money at stake um, and how much that would affect the, you know, one or two English teams that then don't get those positions, it's just, it's just not going to happen. So... Yeah, I can look on with envy and wish we were there, but the reality is it's, I have to be realistic and know it's never, never in a lifetime going to happen. Something that I'm also intrigued by is, as I say, my first game that I got the chance to, to be there in person to watch was Scotland-Jamaica. I was blown away by Erin Cuthbert's goal that night. I just remember watching it and thinking, I cannot wait for the tournament in France in the summer to, to watch this and invest time in it. And I really, really, really enjoyed it, the tournament as a whole. Even when Scotland, um, sadly, were put, put out the tournament, I still watched the tournament. Um, the Dutch goalkeeper really impressed me um, as the tournament got further and further on. But just some of the memories I've got of the tournament are really good. And for you, having a player like Leanne Crichton, being so high profile in Scottish football as a pundit on TV, high profile in the sense that she's a successful player on the pitch, first and foremost for Glasgow City, also a vital member of that Scotland team that got to the Euros and then the World Cup. I mean, how proud does that make you? Oh, incredibly. You know, it's it's a really, it's, you know, at Glasgow City, we, you know, we, we love having national team players. You know, they carry our club really, really well. But then, you know, also, it was actually, you know, one of our, our players that, that messaged me the kind of night before, you know, the Scotland's first game and, and said to the state, probably what's one of the nicest things that's ever been said to me, which was a, I kind of thank you to Glasgow City because they personally thought that there might not ever have been a Scotland team that made the World Cup if Glasgow City hadn't existed. And, um, you know, at this time I thought, God, that's an incredibly, incredibly generous thing to say. I hadn't really thought of that. But then I looked at the Scotland squad that was in France and I realised that 11 of those players had been Glasgow City players. You know, five of them were current players and six were former players. So, you know, that moment I definitely had a huge sense of pride, um, you know, that so, so many players had kind of come through our ranks or played for us at some point or were currently playing for us and then we're kind of leading our nation into, you know, the kind of holy grail of, of competitions. Um, so, yeah, I think, 
you know, Leanne and the number of international players we've got in the team just now, um, you know, are absolutely brilliant for us and they're, they're fantastic ambassadors for the game. In terms of the current manager of the club, Scott Booth, um, in terms of him coming into the club, he's obviously carried on the good work that's been there since Glasgow City was founded. As I say, when we look back at the record through the years, it's there for all to see with the managers that you've had. It's been successful time after time after time. With Scott, what was it like when you got him into the club? Because he's a big name, as you know, within Scottish football as a whole. Yeah, well, I think, you know, when we were, you know, when we were advertising for a new manager, you know, we were only advertising for a UEFA Pro licence holder, which is obviously the kind of highest, highest level of qualifications. So, you know, Scott had that. He was one of the, you know, the many that applied from not only in Scotland, but kind of out, out with Scotland uh, with, a, you know, a number of really, really high calibre applications and I think what um what kind of pleased me the most about Scott was obviously you know well he interviewed very well he answered his questions well but he also showed a real genuine interest and understanding of the women's game well I wouldn't say then he would he would say you know he fully understood it but you know I was conscious certainly from uh, an appointment point of view that you know there's there's actually not there's really not all that many paid jobs in the game you know really from a, a coaching full-time position so I really had to make sure we were getting somebody who who wasn't coming. Um, so either we get someone already in the women's game or we've got someone who hadn't been in the women's game before. And I, I definitely didn't want someone who I thought is just coming in because it's a job. And as soon as an opening comes up in the men's game, they'll be straight off. And I, I got the impression from Scott that that definitely wasn't the case. And that's proven to be the case as well. Scott's had a number of offers, um, you know, since he's, he's been at us. But, you know, he, he very much... He very much took on the challenge and it, it was a real task you know as he said many times the normal position for getting a job in football is that a club's failed and a manager's you know been sacked whereas you know we've been incredibly successful and Scott also came in at a time which I would say was probably the hardest for us you know we probably were under the toughest level of competition uh, we'd had in a number of years we probably also lost a huge amount of our really talented players you know we're going through a bit of a purge um, in terms of constantly losing our best talent every single year. And that became, that was becoming harder and harder. And also, um, you know, incredibly hard to kind of backfill all the time in Scotland. You know, most of, at this point, most of the, the top talent in Scotland was starting to consider to leave and go elsewhere. So, you know, fair play to Scott that he kind of thought that was that was a good challenge when, you know, a club's been so successful to be able to continue. And he's, you know, he's, he's, he's been a good fit. He's certainly worked really, really hard when he came in to get up to speed. You know, on the team, we watched countless of, of you know, um, copies of our, our previous games. And, you know, he was he was pretty knowledgeable. But I think having come from the SFA, he was, he was knowledgeable of the women's game in terms of the, the kind of national team levels, all the different age groups. Um, and he's just he's just been a, a, a really, really good fit. You know, he's, he's, he's worked well for us so far. I don't want to ask this question out of trying to create controversy. I'm asking it because I'm genuinely intrigued by the answer. Do you feel that the clubs in Scotland, the major clubs, have supported the women's game to this to the extent that they should have over the last sort of 22 years that Glasgow City's been formed? I know teams like Celtic are now making a big play of saying, right, we're here, we're going to get some talent, we're going to give it a go. But do you feel that it's, it's not been supported as much as it should have been many years ago and maybe even still is now? Yeah, I think it, it depends. You know, I... I'd probably look at that and say, I think for me, um, 
you know, I very much want equality across the board. So, you know, I kind of think if you're, if you're going to have something and you're going to have a women's team and a men's team, then they kind of need to be equal. And certainly, you know, over our Glasgow City journey, you know, which has obviously been a long journey at different points and very different points, you know, we've been approached by some of these top men's teams over the years before they had women's teams because they were you're kind of looking for a quick fix as to how, how, how to get a team and they thought, right, well, let's take on the best team and that, that's a nice kind of ticker box and, and we've got one. But at that point in those discussions, I very much realised it was a ticker box and I would never, I would never allow the club to become something that wasn't completely equal. And that was obviously unpalatable for a lot of men's teams because obviously in terms of the investment that, that, that would follow with that. And probably it's been frustrating that it's probably taken you know, the vision of the game elsewhere in terms of, you know, actually seeing some of the commercial success that now exists within the game, that they're getting behind a bit more. But unfortunately, that's pretty much how things work. It tends to be, you know, people need to see pound signs or, or dollar signs as, you know, as for a reason to be involved. So, um, and I, I'm listening, I'm not saying that's why now, you know, these some of these clubs are, are, are investing more. Um, you know, it's hopefully just, you know, whether it's changing man in management or ownership or, or finally deciding if, if they're in it, they, they, they need to be in it in, in a kind of a much bigger way. But yeah, it's, it's, I've just probably found it slightly bizarre how they could, you know, have their their, their badge there and, and say they're working with teams when, you know, really they're, they're not giving them anywhere near the level of equality that, you know, the teams probably deserved that, that would have helped them. Um, an awful lot more but it's again that's just shown to me you know what the priorities of these clubs have been and unfortunately it's not been their, their women and girls for many many years. We've talked about the success of, of you as a player with Glasgow City, a captain, now as, as, as general manager obviously founder of the part, co-founder of the club as well. In terms of the future of Glasgow City what are the long-term aims? Is it just to continue setting the standards that you have done in Scotland and continually push for progression in Europe? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, things have probably changed, you know, quite a bit. I think, um, I talk about this, I, I did a TED talk about six years ago, it's a long time ago now, but I kind of spoke in, in that um, a little bit about our change in our journey and, you know, pretty much when we started the club, it was let's create the best club, you know, let's just create a, a team that wins things. And then very quickly it became like, okay, let's, you know, let's have academy teams, let's do this. And then, you know, your horizons kind of change. But, you know, the journey for, I'd say the last, easily the last half, um, you know, 10 to 12 years of our club is, for me, it's been a large, it's largely about just making sure there's there's opportunities for girls and, that you know, they're, they're kind of number one. And, you know, our kind of slogan is we've been championing women and girls, you know, since 1998 and that's you know I go back to those discussions with you know some of those professional clubs back in the day and for that that's been very much for me you know they weren't prepared to have these values at the forefront of what they were doing whereas that's always the forefront of us so yeah I mean of course I want to keep on winning things we want to keep on being pioneering we want to continue to be campaigners um, for change you know for equality and and the kind of role that you know, women's sports should have within the media and within the press. And, you know, fantastic if that continues with, um, you know, continues with domestic trophies and, and playing in Europe. You know, I'm also not naive to know how much money's in the game now and, you know, money talks. And, you know, we don't, we don't really have, you know, a big 
support our partner in terms of, you know, part of our big men's club that can give us free training facilities at the training centre or, you know, give us a big cash injection, you know, so we need to always do things the hard way, but um, I kind of like doing it that way, you know, as I said before, I think, you know, the reason we're in this is is all about championing women girls and, and I just kind of want that to continue, you know, we've got hundreds of girls now part of our club. I would love there just to be opportunities for every girl to always be able to play no matter kind of what level they're at and you know hopefully for them if they become a Glasgow City player brilliantly and if they go on to then be a Scotland national team player even better so yeah it's continue what we're doing you know whatever shape or form that is and I'd, I'd love it to still be a successful but you know I'm, I'm also aware that it is getting tougher and tougher but um, I think a club like us has still got a huge a huge uh, part to play in what happens moving forward. I agree. I think with the with the founding principles of the club, the work that's went in over the years, on the pitch, off the pitch, definitely Glasgow City has a massive role to play in Scottish football. And I don't think just in the women's game, I think in the in the general game as well, because I think it's important that senior clubs in the male setup have a look at what's been going on at Glasgow City and look at look at the success that's been had over a sustained period of time and and think what is it they're doing that we could learn from and vice versa for yourselves and other clubs in the maybe in the male setup as well because I think when everyone's working in unison as best as they possibly can it can only help the game going forward and as you have said that that yet yeah, you probably would say to me that's all well and good you saying that but the senior male clubs have to buy into it which they do and I hope they do because the Women's World Cup as I say really captured the imagination of so many through the access that we talked about and and I hope it continues to grow because my experience, as I say, was I really enjoyed that and I wanted to be back. And I made sure I got back because, as I say, genuinely left going, I really enjoyed that. What advice would you give or what message, should I say, rather, would you give to anyone watching this or listening to this who is wondering, why should I go to a Glasgow City game or why should I go to a female football game? Because sadly, there are still people who might be quite reluctant but maybe they'll listen to this and hopefully perspectives will change yeah i think you know i would say choose a, a kind of top level game um don't don't judge the game you know against the men's game um because it is you know it is different but i'd say you know why why would you go along i think you will be very pleasantly surprised you know if you've come to glasgow city game or you have to go along to scotland's women's national team game it's your first one i think you'll be incredibly surprised at, at the standard um because it will be it will be really high technically in particular um i think you given you know that some of the challenges the men's game has in terms of you know crowd behavior you'll see the absolute opposite in the women's game you know there's pretty much no segregation because there's absolutely none needed you know, it's uh, it's it's really really friendly. It's very family friendly. The game's still at a level where the players are massively accessible. You know, all of our Glasgow City players and all the Scotland Women's National Team players. You know, at the end of the game, they'll come over um, the side of the pitch and they'll they'll spend. Well, the Scotland National Team will spend at least an hour out in the pitch signing autographs. Now, you know, you compare that to um, you know the kind of idols in the men's game. I mean, it's 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 they're almost like completely non-accessible. Whereas, you know, these kind of superstars in the women's game, they are accessible, you know, they great they take great time out to to grow the game. Um, because they've kind of seen, particularly the players playing just now, you know, most of them have come through the changes um and they've you know they've, they've seen the differences. I spoke about this recently, you know, I, I kind of mentioned way at the very start that, you know, I remember a time um, 
you know, when it was much, much tougher. And I look at a player that we've got on our team, Joe Love, I'm guessing at Joe's age, which is probably about 32, 33. So Joe is Scotland's most capped outfield player of all time. She's got something ridiculous, like 189 Scotland caps. Um, so she got her first international cap when she was really, really young. And again, I'm guessing this, it might have been some ludicrous like 16, just because she was such a talent. But Joe will have played at a time where the Scotland national team, you know, would go away and play a game. They'd be given the extra large men's strips to wear. Um, and that includes track suits, which the girls were having to like roll up the sleeves, roll up the legs. And when they would land back at Glasgow Airport, they'd all be sent into the toilets to get changed and hand them back. Now, Joe will compare that experience with flying chartered on Logan Air to the Women's World Cup. Um, you know, having all your nutritional and sports science experts follow the team around, you know, having thousands of the Tartan army follow you over to France to, to support you, having the games live on TV. You know, so some players, you know, in the game have been through that journey and I think they're incredibly appreciative of how much the game's changed. And, and so they, you know, they very much value that they're the absolute opposite of, you could say, a big time Charlie. You know, they want to give so much back. And that's a huge thing for a, for a young kid, you know, for a young kid that, that wants to, to be a Joe Love, the fact that you've got people like Joe Love that give them all the time in the world to spend time with them, that's just really, really unique. Um, and, you know, and I think for the women's game, kind of long may it continue, but that's a few of the things that I think people would notice most if, if they come along to a women's game is accessibility of the players, the time the players give to young fans, the friendliness of it, um, and also the fact it's extremely inexpensive. You know, I think, you know, a Glasgow City season tickets, I think 50 quid, you know, it's, I mean, it's unbelievable. You know, you compare that to five, six, seven, eight hundred pounds, whatever it can be at other clubs. That's very true. And I have to say, Laura, I've really enjoyed this chat. I hope people listening to it will, if they've not looked at Glasgow City on social media, on YouTube or anywhere on the internet they can get some more information I hope they do I hope they consider taking in a game um, because the success of the national team in recent years has been inspiring as we've said Glasgow City have had a generation of success and long may it continue so thank you so much for joining me I really appreciate it thanks Cal so we'll dive down to the ocean and we'll make our home in a deep sea cave and our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled